You are listening to RudolfSteinerAudio.com. If you are listening to the podcast of this, it is located at RudolfSteiner.Podbean.com. Please consider becoming a patron. As well, there are two publishing houses, SteinerBooks.org in America and RudolfSteinerPress.com in England, who are the sole publishers of Steiner into English and have given me permission to do these recordings. Please consider patronizing them as well. Lecture 2 of The Spiritual Beings in the Heavenly Bodies and in the Kingdoms of Nature by Rudolf Steiner Yesterday I tried, first of all, to point out the way that leads the human soul to the observation of the spiritual world hidden directly behind our material physical world and then to draw attention to two classes or categories of spiritual beings perceptible to occult vision when the veil of the sense world has been drawn aside. Today we shall speak of two other forms or categories of nature spirits. The one is disclosed to trained occult sight when we observe the gradual fading and dying of the plant world in late summer or autumn, the dying of nature beings in general. As soon as a plant begins to develop fruit in the blossom, we can allow this fruit to work upon the soul in the manner described in our last lecture. In this way we receive in our imagination the impression of the spiritual beings concerned with the fading and dying of the beings of nature. We were able to describe yesterday that in spring the plants are, so to speak, drawn out of the earth by certain beings that are subject to perpetual metamorphosis. And likewise we can say that when, for instance, the plants have finished this development and the time has come for them to fade, other beings then work upon them beings of whom we cannot even say that they too continually change their forms, for, strictly speaking, they have no form of their own at all. They appear flashing up like lightning, like little meteors, now flashing up, now disappearing. They really have no definite form, but flit over our earth, flashing and vanishing like little meteors or will-o'-the-wisps. These beings are primarily connected with the ripening of everything in the kingdoms of nature. The ripening process comes about because these forces or beings exist. They are only visible to occult vision when it concentrates on the air itself, indeed on the purest air possible. We have described the second sort of nature beings by saying that to perceive them we must allow falling water or water condensed into cloud formations or something of a like character to work upon us. Now air, as free from moisture as possible, played upon by the light and warmth of the sun, must work upon the soul. If we are to visualize in our imagination these meteor-like flashing and disappearing beings that live in air free from moisture and eagerly drink in the light which permeates the air and causes them to flash and shine. These beings then sink down into the plant world or the animal world and bring about their ripening and maturity. In the very way we approach these beings, we see that they stand in a certain relation to what occultism has always called the elements. We find what we described in the last lecture as the first class of such beings when we descend into the depths of the earth and penetrate the solid substance of our planet. Our imagination is then confronted with beings of a definite form, and we may call these the nature spirits of solid substance or the nature spirits of the earth. The second category we then described are to be found in water that collects and disperses, 
so that we may connect these spiritual beings with what in occultism has always been called the fluid or watery element. In this element they undergo metamorphoses and at the same time they do the work of drawing forth from the earth everything that grows and sprouts. The flashing, disappearing beings of whom we have just spoken stand not in connection with the watery element, but in connection with the element of air, air when it is as free from moisture as possible. Thus we may now speak of nature spirits of air, water, and, excuse me, nature spirits of earth, water, and of air. There is a fourth category of such spiritual beings with which occult vision can become familiar. For this, occult vision must wait until a blossom has brought forth fruit and seed, and then observe how the germ gradually grows into a new plant. Only on such an occasion can such a vision be achieved with ease. In other conditions it is difficult to observe this fourth kind of being, for they are the protectors of the germs of all the seeds in our kingdoms of nature. As guardians, these beings carry the seed from one generation of plants or other nature beings to the next. We can observe that these beings, the protectors of the seeds or germs, make it possible that the same beings continually reappear on our earth and that these beings are brought into contact with the warmth of our planet, with what from early times has been called the element of fire or heat. That is why the forces of the seed are also connected with a certain degree of heat, a certain temperature. If occult vision observes accurately enough, it finds that the necessary transmutation of the warmth of the environment into such heat as is needed by the seed or germ in order to ripen, that the changing of lifeless warmth into a living heat is provided for by these beings. Hence they can also be called the nature spirits of fire or of heat. So that, to begin with, more details will be given in the subsequent lectures, we have become acquainted with four categories of nature spirits, having a certain relation to what are called the elements of air, of air, earth, water, air, and fire. It is as though these spiritual beings had their juris jurisdiction, their territory, in these elements, just as we human beings have as ours the whole planet. Just as the planet Earth is our home in the universe, so these beings have their territory in one or another of the elements mentioned. We have already drawn attention to the fact that for our earthly physical world, for the earth as a whole with its various kingdoms of nature, these different beings signify what the etheric body or life body signifies for individual human beings. Only we have said that in the human being this life body is a unity, whereas the etheric body of the earth consists of many, many such nature spirits, which are moreover divided into four classes. The living cooperation of these nature spirits is the etheric or life body of the earth. Thus it is not unity but multiplicity, plurality. If we wish to discern this etheric body of the earth with occult vision, then as was previously described, we must allow the physical world to influence us morally, thereby drawing aside the veil of the physical world. Then the etheric body of the earth, which lies directly behind this veil, becomes visible. Now how is it, when one also draws aside this further veil, described as the etheric body of the earth? We know that behind the etheric body is the astral body, the third principle of the human being, the body that is the bearer of desires, wishes, and passions. 
Thus, if we disregard the higher principles of human nature, we may say that in a human being we have first of all a physical body, behind which is an etheric body, and behind that an astral body. It is just the same in external nature. If we draw aside the physical, we certainly come to a plurality. This represents the etheric body of the whole earth, with all its kingdoms of nature. Now, can we also speak of a sort of astral body of the earth, something that in relation to the whole earth and to all its kingdoms corresponds to the astral body of a human being? It is certainly not as easy to penetrate to the earth's astral body as to its etheric body. We have seen that we can reach the etheric body if we allow the phenomena of the world to work upon us, not merely through sense impressions, but morally as well. If we wish, however, to penetrate further, then deeper occult exercises are necessary, such as you will find described in part, insofar as they can be in an open publication, in my book Knowledge of the Higher Worlds and How to Attain It. At a definite point of esoteric or occult development, as you may read there, a person begins to be conscious even at a time when he or she is usually unconscious, namely during the time between falling asleep and waking. We know that the ordinary unconscious condition, the ordinary human condition of sleep, is caused by our leaving our physical and etheric bodies lying in the bed, and by our drawing out our astral bodies and the rest of what belongs to them. But the ordinary person is unconscious when this occurs. If, however, we devote ourselves more and more to those exercises that consist of meditation, concentration, and so on, and further strengthen the slumbering hidden forces of our soul, then we can establish a conscious condition of sleep. In that case, when we have drawn our astral bodies out of our physical and etheric bodies, we are no longer unconscious, but have around us not the physical world, not even the world just described, the world of the nature spirits, but another and still more spiritual world. When, after having freed ourselves from our physical and etheric bodies, the time comes that we feel our consciousness flash up, we then perceive quite a new order of spiritual beings. The next thing that strikes the occult vision thus far trained is that the new spirits we now perceive have, as, as it were, command over the nature spirits. Let us be quite clear as to how far this is the case. I have told you that, these, that those beings whom we call the nature spirits of water work especially in the budding and sprouting plant world. Those, we may call the nature spirits of the air, play their part in late summer and autumn when the plants prepare to fade and die. Then these meteor-like air spirits sink down over the plant world and saturate themselves, as it were, with the plants, helping them to fade away in their spring and summer forms. The disposition that at one time the spirits of the water and at another the spirits of the air should work in this or that region of the earth changes according to the different regions of the earth. In the northern part of the earth it is naturally quite different from what it is in the south. <clears throat> the task of directing, as it were, the appropriate nature spirits to their activities at the right time is carried out by those spiritual beings whom we learn to know when occult vision is so far trained that when we have freed ourselves from our physical and etheric bodies, we can still be conscious of our environment. There are spiritual beings, for instance, working in connection with our earth, with our planet earth, who allot the work of the nature spirits to the seasons of the year, and thus bring about the alternations of these seasons for the different regions of the earth by distributing the work of the nature spirits. These spiritual beings represent what we may call the astral body of the earth, 
We plunge into this with our own astral bodies at night when we fall asleep. This astral body, consisting of higher spirits that hover around the planet Earth and permeate it as a spiritual atmosphere, is united with the Earth, and into this spiritual atmosphere our astral bodies plunge during the night. Now, to occult observation, there is a great difference between the first category of nature spirits, the spirits of earth, water, and so on, and those beings that, on the other hand, direct these nature spirits. The nature spirits are occupied in causing the beings of nature to ripen and fade, in bringing life into the whole planetary sphere of the earth. The situation is different with regard to those spiritual beings who, in their totality, can be called the astral body of the earth. These beings are such that when we can become acquainted with them by means of occult vision, we perceive them as beings connected with our own souls, with our own astral bodies. They exert such an influence upon the human astral body, as also upon the astral bodies of animals, that we cannot speak of a mere life-giving activity. Their activity resembles the action of feeling and thought upon our own souls. The nature spirits of water and air can be observed, we may say, they are in the environment, but we cannot say of the spiritual beings of whom we are now speaking that they are in our environment. We are, in fact, always actually united with them, as if poured into them when we perceive them. We are merged into them, and they speak to us in spirit. It is as though we perceived thoughts and feelings from the environment, impulses of will, Sympathy and antipathy come to expression in what these beings cause to flow into us as thoughts, feelings, and impulses of will. Thus, in this category of spirits, we see beings already resembling the human soul. If we turn back again to what has been stated, we may say that all sorts of regulations in time, of divisions in the relations of time and space, are also connected with these beings. An old expression has therefore been preserved in occultism for these beings, whom in their totality we recognize as the astral body of the earth, earth, and this in English would be, quote, spirits of the periods or cycles of time, unquote. Thus, not only the seasons of the year and the growing and the fading of the plants, but also the regular alternation, which in relation to the planet earth expresses itself in day and night, is brought about by these spirits which are to be classed as belonging to the astral body of the earth. In other words, everything connected with rhythmic return, with rhythmic alternation, with repetitions of happenings in time, is organized by spiritual beings who collectively belong to the astral body of the earth and to whom the name, quote, spirits of the periods or cycles of time of our planet, unquote, is applicable. What the astronomer ascertains by calculation about the cycle of the earth on its axis is perceptible to occult vision because the occultist knows that these spirits are distributed over the whole earth and are actually the bearers of the forces which rotate the earth on its axis. It is extremely important that one should be aware that in the astral body of the earth is to be found everything connected with the ordinary alternations between the blossoming and withering of plants and also all that is connected with the alternations between day and night between the various seasons of the year and the various times of the day, and so on. Everything that happens in this way calls up in the observer who has progressed so far as to be able to go out of the physical and etheric bodies in the astral body and still remain conscious, an impression of the spiritual beings belonging to the spirits of the cycles of time. 
We have now, as it were, drawn aside the second veil, the veil woven of nature spirits. We might say that when we draw aside the first veil, woven of material, physical impressions, we come to the etheric body of the earth, to the nature spirits, and that then we can draw aside a second veil and come to the spirits of the cycles of time who regulate everything that is subject to rhythmical cycles. Now, we know that what may be called the higher principle of human nature is embedded in our astral body. At first we understand this to be the I embedded in the astral body. We have already said that our astral body plunges into the region of the spirits of the cycles of time, that it is immersed in the surging sea, as it were, of these spirits. But as regards normal consciousness, our I is still more asleep than the astral body. One who is developing occultly and progressing esoterically becomes aware of this because it is in the spiritual world into which one plunges, which consists of the spirits of the cycles of time, that one first learns to penetrate into the perceptions of the astral body. In a certain respect, this perception is really a dangerous reef in esoteric development, for the human astral body is in itself a unity, but everything in the realm of the spirits of the cycles of time is fundamentally multiplicity, plurality. And since, in the way described, we are united with and immersed in this plurality, if we are still asleep in our eye and yet awake in our astral body, we feel as if we were dismembered in the world of the spirits of the cycles of time. This must be avoided in a properly ordered esoteric development. Hence those who are able to give instruction for such development see that the necessary precautions are taken that one should not, if possible, allow the eye to sleep when the astral body is already awake, for one would then lose inner cohesion and would, like Dionysus, be split up into the whole astral world of the earth consisting of the spirits of the cycles of time. In a regular esoteric development, precautions are taken that this should not occur. These precautions consist in care being taken that the student who, through meditation, concentration, or other esoteric exercises, is to be stimulated to clairvoyance, should retain two things in the whole sphere of clairvoyant occult observation. In every esoteric development, it is specially important that everything should be so adjusted that two things we possess in ordinary life should not be lost. Things we might, however, very easily lose in esoteric development if not rightly guided. If rightly guided, however, we will not lose them. First, we should not lose the recollection of any of the events of our present incarnation as ordinarily retained in our memory. The connection with memory must not be destroyed. This connection with memory means very much more in the sphere of occultism than it does in the sphere of ordinary life. In ordinary life, we understand memory only as the power of looking back and not losing consciousness of the important events of one's life. In occultism, a right memory means that we value with our perceptions and feelings only what we have already accomplished in the past so that we apply no other value to ourselves or to our deeds than the past deeds themselves deserve. Let us understand this quite correctly, for this is extremely important. If in the course of one's occult development one were suddenly driven to say to oneself, quote, I am the reincarnation of this or that spirit, unquote, without there being any justification for it through any action of one's own, then one's memory in an occult sense would be interrupted. An important principle in occult development is that of attributing no other merit to oneself 
other than what comes from one's actions in the physical world in the present incarnation. This, that is extremely important. Any other merit must come only on the basis of a higher development, which can be attained only if one first of all stands firmly on the ground that one esteems oneself for nothing but what one has accomplished in this incarnation. This is quite natural if we look at the matter objectively, for what we have accomplished in the present incarnation is also the result of earlier incarnations. It is that which karma has so far made out of us. What karma is still making of us, we must first bring about. We must not add that to our value. In short, if we would set a right value on ourselves, we can do so only at the beginning of esoteric development, if we ascribe merit only to what is inscribed in our memory as our past. That is the one element we must preserve, if our I is not to sleep while our astral body is awake. The second thing that we as people of the present day must not lose is the degree of conscience we possess in the external world. Here again is something that is extremely important to observe. You must have often experienced that someone you know has gone through an occult development, and if it is not guided and conducted in the right way, you find that in relation to conscience your friend takes things much more lightly than before the occult training. Before such training, education and social connection were the guides to whether one did this thing or that or dared not do it. After beginning an occult development, however, many people begin to tell lies who never did so before, and as regards questions of conscience, they take things more lightly. We ought not to lose an iota of the conscience we possess. As regards memory, we must value ourselves only according to what we have already become, not according to any reliance on the future or on what we are still going to do. As regards conscience, we must retain the same degree of conscience as we acquired in the ordinary physical world. If we retain these two elements on our consciousness, a healthy memory that does not deceive us into believing ourselves to be other than our actions prove us to be, and a conscience that does not allow us morally to take things more lightly than before, indeed if possible we should take them more seriously, if we retain these two qualities, our eye will never be asleep when our astral body is awake. If we can, as it were, remain awake in our sleep and preserve our consciousness and carry it with us into the condition wherein, with our astral body, we are freed from the physical and etheric bodies, if we can do this, then we shall carry the connection with our eye into the world in which we awaken with our astral body. Then, if we awake with our eye, not only do we feel our astral body to be connected with all the spiritual beings we have described as the spirits of the cycles of time of our planet, but we feel in a quite peculiar way that we actually no longer have a direct relation to the individual who is the bearer of the physical and etheric bodies in which we usually live. We feel, so to speak, as if all the qualities of our physical and etheric bodies were taken from us. Then, too, we feel everything taken from us that can only live outwardly in a particular territory of our planet. For what lives on a particular territory of our planet is connected with the spirits of the cycles of time. Now, however, when we waken with our eye, we feel ourselves not only poured out into the whole world of the spirits of the cycles of time, but we feel ourselves one with the whole undivided spirit of the planet itself. We awaken in the undivided spirit of the planet itself. It is extremely important that we should feel ourselves as belonging to the whole of our planet. For example, when our occult vision is sufficiently awakened and we are so far advanced that we can awaken our eye and our astral body simultaneously, 
then our common life with the planet expresses itself in such a way that just as during our waking hours in the sense world we can follow the sun as it passes over the heavens from morning till night, so now the sun no longer disappears when we fall asleep. When we sleep, the sun remains connected with us. It does not cease to shine, but takes on a spiritual character, so that while we are actually asleep during the night, we can still follow the sun. We human beings are of such a nature that we are connected with the changing conditions of the planet only insofar as we live in the astral body. When, however, we become conscious only of our I, we have nothing to do with these changing conditions. But when we awaken our astral body and our I simultaneously, then we become conscious of all the conditions which our planet can go through. We then pour ourselves into the whole substance of the planetary spirit. When I say that we become one with the planetary spirit, that we live in union with this planetary spirit, you must not suppose that this implies an advanced degree of clairvoyance. This is but a beginning. For when we awaken in the manner described, we really only experience the planetary spirit as a whole, whereas it consists of many, many differentiations of wonderful separate spiritual beings, as we shall hear in the following lectures. The different parts of the planetary spirit the special multiplicities of this spirit, of these we are not yet aware. What we realize, first of all, is the knowledge, quote, I live in the planetary spirit as though in a sea, which spiritually bathes the whole planet Earth, and itself is the spirit of the whole Earth, unquote. One may go through immensely long development in order further and further to experience this unification with the planetary spirit. But to begin with, the experience is as has been described. Just as we say of ourselves as human beings, quote, behind our astral body is our I, unquote. so do we say that behind all that we call the totality of the spirits of the cycles of time is hidden the spirit of the planet itself, the planetary spirit. Whereas the spirits of the cycles of time guide the nature spirits of the elements in order to call forth the rhythmic change and repetitions in time, the alternations in space of the planet Earth, the spirit of the Earth has a different task it has the task of bringing the earth itself into mutual relation with the other heavenly bodies in the environment to direct it and guide it so that in the course of time it may come into the right relations to the other heavenly bodies. The spirit of the earth is, as it were, the earth's great sense apparatus through which the planet earth enters into right relationship with the cosmos. If I were to sum up the succession of these spiritual beings with whom we on our earth are first of all concerned, and to whom we can find the way through a gradual occult development, I must say, as the first external veil, we have the sense world with all its multiplicity, with all we see spread out before our senses and which we can understand with our human mind. Then, behind this sense world, we have the world of nature spirits. Behind this world of nature spirits, we have the spirits of the cycles of time, and behind these, the planetary spirit. If you wish to compare what normal consciousness knows about the structure of the cosmos with the structure of the cosmos itself, you may make that clear in the following way. We will take it that the most external veil is this world of the senses, behind which is the world of the nature spirits, and behind that the spirits of the cycles of time, and behind that the planetary spirit. Now, we must say that the planetary spirit in its activity in a certain respect penetrates through to the sense world. So that, so that in a certain way we can perceive its image in the sense world. This also applies to the spirits of the cycles of time as well as to the nature spirits. 
so, if we observe the sense world itself with normal consciousness, we can see in the background, as it were, the impression, the traces of those worlds that lie behind, as if we drew aside the sense world as the outermost skin, and behind this we had different degrees of active spiritual beings. Normal consciousness realizes the sense world by means of its perceptions. The world of nature spirits expresses itself from behind these perceptions as what we call the forces of nature. When science speaks of the forces of nature, we have there nothing that is actually real. To the occultist, the forces of nature are not realities, but maya, imprints of the nature spirits working behind the world of sense. Again, the imprint of the spirits of the cycles of time is what is usually known in ordinary consciousness as the laws of nature. Fundamentally, all the laws of nature are in existence because the spirits of the cycles of time work as the directing powers. To the occultist, the laws of nature are not realities, whereas the ordinary natural scientist speaks of the laws of nature and combines them externally. The occultist knows that these laws are revealed in their reality when in his awakened astral body, he listens to what the spirits of the cycles of time say, and hears how they order and direct the nature spirits. That is expressed in maya, in external semblance, as the laws of nature, and normal consciousness, as a rule, does not go beyond this. It does not usually reach the imprint of the planetary spirit in the external world. The normal consciousness of contemporary humanity speaks of the external world of perception, of the facts that can be perceived. It speaks of the forces of nature, light, warmth, magnetism, electricity, and so on, of the forces of attraction and repulsion, of gravity, and so forth. These are the beings of maya, semblance, behind which in reality lies the world of nature spirits, the etheric body of the earth. External science also speaks of the laws of nature, but that again is maya. Underlying these laws is what we have described as the world of the spirits of the cycles of time. Only when we penetrate still further do we come to the stamp or imprint of the planetary spirit itself in the external sense world. Science today does not do this. Those who still do so are no longer quite believed. The poets, the artists do. They seek for a meaning behind things. Why does the plant world blossom? Why do the different species of animals arise and disappear? Why do human beings inhabit the earth? If we thus inquire into the phenomena of nature and wish to analyze their meaning and to combine the external facts as even a deeper philosophy still sometimes tries to do, we then approach the imprint of the planetary spirit itself in the external world. Today, however, nobody really believes any longer in the seeking after the meaning of existence. Through feeling, one still believes a little, but science no longer wishes to know what could be discovered about the laws of nature by studying the passage of the phenomena. If we still seek a meaning as to the laws of nature and the things of the world perceptible to our senses, we should be able to interpret this meaning as the imprint of the planetary spirit in the sense world. That would be the external maya. In the first place, the sense world itself is an external maya, or semblance, for it is what the etheric body of the earth, the substance of the nature spirits, drives out of itself. A second maya is what appears to us of the nature spirits and the forces of nature. A third maya is what appears as the laws of nature coming from the spirits of the cycles of time. 
a fourth maya, is something that in spite of its maya nature speaks to the human soul, because in the perception of the purpose of nature we at any rate feel ourselves united with the spirit of the whole planet, with the spirit that leads the planet through cosmic space and gives meaning, in fact, to the whole planet. In this maya lies the direct imprint of the planetary spirit itself. Thus we may say that we have today ascended to the undivided spirit of the planet. If again we wish to compare what we have now discovered about the planet with the human being, we may say, quote, the sense world corresponds to the human physical body, the world of nature spirits to the human etheric body, the world of the spirits of the cycles of time to the human astral body, and the planetary spirit to the human eye, unquote. Just as the human eye perceives the physical environment of Earth, so does the planetary spirit perceive everything in the periphery and in cosmic space as a whole outside the planet. It adjusts the acts of the planet and also the feelings of the planet, of which we shall speak tomorrow, according to these perceptions of cosmic space. For what a planet does outside in space when it passes on its way in cosmic distances and what it effects in its own body, in the elements of which it consists, that again is the result of the observations of the planetary spirit with regard to the external world. Just as the individual human soul lives in the world of the earth side by side with other human beings and adjusts to them, so does the planetary spirit live in its planetary body, which is the ground on which we stand. But this planetary spirit lives in fellowship with other planetary spirits, other spirits of the heavenly bodies. The End of Lecture 2